Greetings and welcome to the SLIS Colloquia, a program now in our eighth consecutive semester, brought to you by your School of Library and Information Science here at San Jose State University. I am Dr. Anthony Bernier, and along with Dale David, our technical producer, we are offering this series as part of our school's vision to be recognized as a leader in graduate education in library and information science. Before I introduce today's colloquium, a few announcements. Please look for new colloquia presentations on the SLIS website throughout the term, where you'll also find a webcast archive of all of our previous presentations on the SLIS homepage at slisweb.sjsu.edu. We also offer our colloquia as free podcasts, details on how to access these presentations either through RSS feeds or the iTunes store can be found on the colloquia page. Viewers can also watch the SLIS colloquia on Blip TV, the popular video sharing website. The SLIS Blip TV channel can be accessed at sjsuslis.blip.tv. For our students, I would like to encourage you to visit a special website dealing, uh, detailing the social networking opportunities the school offers to you uh, to connect virtually and otherwise with other SLIS students. It's our own social networking wiki site. The school also maintains another wiki called Cool Web 2.0 Tools, which offer a way to share and learn about the rapidly changing resources you will want to know about. While these previous announcements were intended primarily for our SLIS students, I also have a few for everyone in the SLIS community. The school maintains a robust profile at our professional associations, so I'd like to call your attention to the school's upcoming professional conference appearances as well. We will be at the Public Library Association Conference in Portland, Oregon between 23 and 27 March, and please join us at our reception on Thursday evening, 25 March at the Marriott City Center. We will also be at the Montana Library Association Conference 7 to 10 April in Bozeman, Montana. Between 2 and 5 June, SLIS will be in Edmonton, Alberta. Special Library Association between uh, 13 and 15 June in New Orleans, Louisiana, and at the annual American Library Association Conference, of course, in Washington, D.C., between 24 and 30 June. Finally, please make plans now to attend two very special mid-May events. The first concerns uh, the evening of Thursday, 13 May, in San Jose at the school, as the school celebrates the retirement of our director, Dr. Ken Haycock. And then two days later, on Saturday, 15 May, we celebrate the commencement of our current 2010 graduates. Find all of the details and RSVPs on our SLIS's homepage. The faculty hope to see you at these professional conferences and that you take the opportunity to become acquainted with us and as well as meet up with classmates and friends and colleagues. We hope you enjoy the colloquia presentations and thank you for helping to make this series such a success. Our guest today is Salinas Mayor Dennis Donahue. Born in San Francisco, graduated from the University of San Francisco. Dennis also earned an MA in Religious Education from Gammon University in Pennsylvania. He began his business career in Silicon Valley with Atari, then the fastest growing company in the world, and later with Microsoft and Verbatim before returning to Salinas in the late 1980s. Dennis is former chair of the Salinas Valley Chamber of Commerce and has also served on a variety of uh, uh, civic and community organizations such as the Salinas Planning Commission. But it was his successful leadership in 2004 and 5 that brought him to the attention of the library community. Salinas's finances threatened to close the entire library, a story that drew attention from across the country. But it was Dennis's activism for Measure V that November that saved it. That was, Dennis says, the determining factor in his decision to run for the mayor of Salinas. The library was saved, and Dennis was subsequently able to attract a national name to the library, uh, to the library world, Elizabeth Martinez, to come to Salinas as the library director. It was this kind of leadership that culminated with the California Library Association's recognition of Dennis in 2005 with the CLA President's Award. Dennis says that Measure V is one of the most proud accomplishments of his mayoralty. Since 2005, he has remained a staunch library supporter, even in challenging fiscal times, supporting the primacy of libraries as part of a broader culture of literacy for Salinas. And last September, Dennis was featured in American Libraries 
as the city celebrated its centennial birthday. The Salinas Library Director calls Dennis a dream mayor, and I kind of like the guy because any public official who can pull out 19th century historian Frederick Jackson Turner quotes at the drop of a hat is okay with me. <laughs> the title of his presentation today is In the Crosshairs Again, the Salinas Public Library's Challenge and Promise. Please join with me and the rest of the Salinas faculty in welcoming to campus Mayor Dennis Donahue. For me, the library grabbed me when I was about 11. I was always kind of bookish, but did love base basketball and baseball. And I remember summers filled with endless Sandlot baseball, little league games and riding my bike to the library. And I always checked out six or seven books and started them all at once. And then the magic of books took over and one would just grab me and I would read it nonstop. And those books just took me all over the world through history into the White House, or so it seemed, into Tolkien's Middle Earth, and on and on. And one of my favorite passages in literature is from the book, The Brothers Karamazov. And at the end of the book, Alyosha says, you must know there is nothing higher or stronger or more useful afterwards in life than some good memory. And one of my favorite memories is this. On November 8th, 2005, Salinas voters passed Measure V which essentially saved the Salinas Public Libraries. Working with an energized community remains one of the highlights of my civic and personal life and still inspires my thoughts and actions today as mayor of Salinas. And indeed, it probably did lead to my election. And at the time, a 10-year sunset clause seemed far off in the future, and no one could envision the economic challenges that lay ahead for the private and public sector, which ultimately would impact all Americans and the globe. Before the passage of Measure V, the Salinas Library situation attracted worldwide attention. The irony that the hometown of one of six North American Nobel laureates would lose their libraries was lost on few outside observers. And it seemed as if Salinas was going to be held single-handedly responsible for the decline and fall of Western civilization. The passage of Measure V appeared to change that. Full funding was restored and expanded we were fortunate to hire past American Library Association Executive Director Elizabeth Martinez, who has led the rebuilding of the Salinas Library System. Expansion plans have been made for the Cesar Chavez Library. Our El Gavilan branch was refurbished. The main Steinbeck branch introduced a digital laboratory, digital arts laboratory, and a teen lounge. There has even been talk of a fourth branch in the city's future growth area. And I was particularly pleased that the library became part of the Salinas strategy to combat gang violence. The council voted to exceed pre-Measure V funding levels for the libraries by several hundred thousand dollars. The goal was to help establish a citywide culture of literacy designed to directly confront the fact that almost 70% of prison inmates reportedly cannot read. And people often ask me what prevention strategies work with respect to gang violence. I sometimes cause eyes to glaze over when I talk about the need for clear strategies with sufficient resources to provide scale and capacity over the course of time to break the cycle. People immediately get it when I say the more young fathers I see taking their four-year-olds to the library for children's reading programs, the safer will be and most certainly the less likely that child will be choose to be involved in gangs. Few question that connection. And I'm equally confident that when I see 80 teenagers doing a poetry slam at the Cesar Chavez branch on a Friday night, that those students will not likely be leaving the library and getting ready to put in work for a gang. Like most California cities, Salinas has seen a sharp decline in both its sales and property tax base, along with the continuing saga of state takeaways. But the libraries essentially remained immune because Measure V represented a defined half-cent component of sales tax revenues that was treated within, but somewhat independent of the general fund. This past September, the library celebrated its 100th anniversary with over 15,000 residents going through the three libraries' turnstiles on just one Sunday. A time capsule was sealed to be opened 100 years from now. It was a wonderful testimony that suggested that on the surface, the phoenix had risen from the ashes with the ultimate symbol of that being the decision to provide seven days a week service. 
But mounting concerns over library funding continue to rise as revenue shortfalls continue to force a reexamination re of the general fund budget and Measure V dollars. In many respects, the challenges of Salinas as a city mirror those in San Jose. Salinas, like all cities, is now faced with the question of how it continues to provide city services in the midst of a changing revenue paradigm. The easy thing to do right now would be to force the library to take its share of the cuts and move on until better days. And I will not politicize this speech other than to say I will not support that in large part in honor of those residents, that community which banded together to make their case to the community that libraries are important. I believe Salinas has a clear social contract it must honor. That was the promise of Measure V. But I also recognize that libraries are once again in the crosshairs as Salinas, like most cities, must prepare in earnest, simply do more with less. But I am convinced that within that challenge lies a great opportunity for Salinas and its library system. Salinas needs to focus on three primary goals right now, attracting investment into our community, becoming a safer city, and redesigning the organization and its effectiveness. And I believe an effective mayor must think and be mindful of the, and act mindfully over the arc of, of the arc of time. Economic transformation must lie at the heart of a changing city. That city must be safer, and city government must prove it can add value to the life of its residents and the region. I am a fan of good mayors. San Jose has had its shares. I happen to think you have a terrific one now, and I have always been grateful for former Mayor Tom McHenry's interest in Salinas. He and I have often referred to another literary figure, Dean Swift, who spoke in Gulliver's Travels of the vision through the fog. And I do see a clearing of the fog for Salinas, a city that will become a crown jewel of the Central Coast and builds its future on a resounding yes to institutions that support the public good. I would further make the case that at this seminal moment in time, when all things around the written word are changing, the hometown of John Steinbeck is a logical center of gravity for leading the way. Given that backdrop, the library essentially becomes the critical institution in these, cha these changing and civically challenging times. That thought is the basis for the City of Letters initiative and dialogue that is currently underway, thanks to the leadership of Library Director Elizabeth Martinez. For the sake of this talk, I will stay focused on the three Salinas priorities previously mentioned, investment, public safety, and redesigning local government. Let's start with investment and the need for all cities to expand their revenue base. Part of Salinas' structural deficit problem is due to an over-reliance on a sales tax rate that is simply too low. That's not a popular view these days, but as Casey Stingle, the, -man the ma former manager of the New York Mets once said, you could look it up. Cities have a pretty clear mandate from voters these days. Put everything on the table, live within your means like we have to, and if we're still short for desired city services, we'll talk, but not before then. I am equally clear that part of the newer reality of tomorrow's local government picture requires an increasing emphasis on economic development, job creation, and maximizing current revenue streams. And in Salinas's case, we need more people coming to our city center to visit, shop, and ultimately stay in there to do business. Other cities certainly can lay claim to great literary tradition, as can Salinas. But only Salinas can legitimately claim to be the 21st century's fresh frontier and the gateway to a sea-to-soil strategy that makes us the clear favorite to, the be, to be the business leaders in food safety, traceability, homeland security efforts around agriturism, packaging, post-harvesting technologies and research. The list goes on. In short, you can only leverage strengths you actually have. It is not a stretch to say that our ultimate destiny as a community is to become the southern economic quarter of the Silicon Valley. Salinas will need a downtown and quality of life that prepares to seize the same moment of opportunity San Jose did in the 1980s to become the capital of the Silicon Valley. Some mayors want downtown ballparks. And if San Jose gets the A's, 
on behalf of Salinas, I want the San Jose Giants when they move. You can't have them both. But I actually want something else to anchor a downtown that needs to be revitalized for the 21st century. Sydney has an opera house. It is known for worldwide. New York has the Empire State Building. Monterey has an aquarium. I want a library that Salinas is known for worldwide to anchor and build our reputation as a city of letters. Elizabeth and I often go back and forth with a shared desire to build that library, but we're never quite sure if we want the Louvre of the libraries or one like Alexandria, Egypt. But we are clear, we want a world-class facility. Imagine what an economic driver a world-class library would be to stimulate museum activity, specialty retail, a literary district with literary bed and breakfast, and salons with authors and residents. Think how that library could work hand-in-hand -hand with the National Steinbeck Center that already attracts visitors from the entire world. And as a practical matter, the economic value generated from a strong literary scene would bring people downtown, help reverse decades of retail leakage to other local communities, and prepares Salinas to connect with Caltrain in 2012, knock on wood, is pretty obvious. And in a changing private sector, imagine the value of an institution that draws 1,600 visitors a day, being connected with a new library model that might contain cafes and a bookstore. It could be the West Coast version of New York's Library Hotel, with a multi-story building that houses the library on one or two floors and a hotel on the top floors. Or my personal favorite concept, since I can't get a Nordstrom's, I want the Japanese flag department, Takashimaya, to look at a library on the bottom floors with department stores in, floors in the middle and restaurants on the top floor. In short, the ultimate public-private partnership. Because let's face it, both the retail and public sector are changing. And I assume nobody in the Silicon Valley would say we've never done this before, so we can't do it now. If everybody wants government to be more businesslike, then let's support it when it may want to actually act more businesslike. To attract major new investment, we need to do, as we have always done in both our valleys, take an idea or crop, plant or develop it, bring it to maturity, and see what the market will bear. There is no scenario that I know of that argues it was logical to build an opera house in, in Sydney, the Empire State Building during the Great Depression, or the Eiffel Tower. But having built them, it now seems quite logical to have done so. Major investment will most likely follow major strengths and inherit competitive advantages. Apple has introduced the iPad. Amazon, it's Kindle. Barnes and Noble, their e-reader, and Google wants to digitize the, the world's books. Today, a world-class library speaks to world-class economic opportunities. Now, I would, as a mayor, I would be remiss if I didn't publicly acknowledge Google for, their mar for the marvelous sense of humor they displayed on uh, April Fool's Day by changing the company's name to Topeka this past week. But once you get past the all kidding aside phase and you really want to reinvent the future, Salinas is the best rural urban laboratory in the United States. And if you're remotely interested in the libraries and in reinventing public institutions that have core competencies such as record keeping and data collection, you catch my drift. And Google's cyber librarians just might view the unique relationship Salinas is attempting to build with Monterey's Naval Postgraduate School around analytical capabilities as a unique crime-fighting tool all over the country. And did I happen to mention that Salinas is the county seat of Monterey County and that we need to update our civic infrastructure? Imagine a library that's spread throughout downtown like Oxford University does in Oxford, England, and provides recreation, retail, lounges, and customized library services such as a law library for both the public and private sector and supported the district attorney, city attorney, and state courts. What if the library contained gardens, greenhouses for fresh learning centers in the urban heart of the world's largest garden, the Salinas Valley? Not only do, 
Not only can we do lettuce, broccoli, strawberries, and my personal favorite, radicchio, pretty well, we also do orchids pretty well. And oh, by the way, the average age of Selenians is 26. We are a young city. We got the Babies R Us franchise for a reason. So the possibilities are endless for economic development. New York has Broadway. Austin has a music district. Salinas can have a literary district anchored by the National Steinbeck Center and a world-class library that educates, unites the community, and creates real economic value. It's a risk to be that focused. But in this day and age, the greater risk is to not try and ignore your fundamental economic competitive advantages. But we have also had our share of challenges. We must beat back the scourge of gang violence. In order to do that, we have to modernize and expand our police department. But prevention and intervention must go hand in hand with enforcement. Positive alternatives for teens, such as digital art laboratories, literary recreational outlets, such as poetry slams and recording studios, are critical. I am a proponent of a new neighborhood policing model that goes beyond traditional community policing. Think of a PAL program that includes a library without walls or pocket libraries where you least expect them. These can go hand in hand with new neighborhood strategies to build community and connect city government with their residents. A police officer that mentors, plays basketball, or reads a book becomes somebody the community trusts. The police business is tough, serious work, particularly in a city such as Salinas. But the reality is that soft power is critical to becoming a peaceful city. And if cities must live within their means, then new strategies to keep a community safe must be seriously and rigorously examined. People like and trust libraries. They can become a meeting for citizens and police. Finally, I want to talk about redesigning local government. Like most mayors, I have mentally wrestled with budget challenges, cuts, you name it. And I have come to realize that the fundamental question is not if there will be budget cuts. There have been and there will be more. Not if there will be layoffs. There have been and there will be more. The real questions are these. How are we going to live within our means as a municipal corporation what are our priorities, and how do we add value to the lives of our residents? Failure to adequately address those questions will lead to a continuing downward spiral of a civic Groundhog Day scenario where we cities endlessly cut, plead lack of finances, provide really good reasons why we can't meet the public expectations, and ultimately fail to solve the problem. Or we can choose another path. And on that path, I think we may find that some key institutions, such, such as libraries, can help provide value by connecting the city with its residents. Today in Salinas, City Hall is only open four days a week. That is not how the residents of a city live and function, particularly in a hard working class agricultural community. Our libraries are open seven days a week. If grocery stores can have banks and banks can have ATMs, why can't libraries have permit centers, sell dog licenses? After all, libraries' core competencies include customer service, managing information, record keeping, and helping people. Why can't our digital arts lab oversee the city website, extend the city clerk's reach throughout the city, and make sure public documents are posted and available at all three library branches. These are not easy times. While I was preparing for this talk, I was exchanging emails with uh, our librarian, Elizabeth Martinez, who I uh, mentioned earlier. And she mentioned, she made the observation that throughout history, every conqueror destroys books and records, knowledge temples and libraries. And she also happened to note that city halls don't get that type of attention. But she said it points to the power of words and voices and how libraries preserve them. Sadly, I thought to myself, we don't destroy things now. We just don't finance them. 
Five years ago, Salinas saved its libraries with the passage of Measure B. Today, at the heart of the City of Letters Dialogue should be a new consideration. Can libraries save Salinas? I think they can. I think libraries can be the catalyst to our becoming the great city I believe we are destined to be. That, uh, that concludes uh, my formal remarks. I, I also want to, uh, to add, uh, I, I'm delighted that Elizabeth refers to me as a librarian's dream mayor. I'm always, I'm always honored and humbled by that, but, but then, then she always gives me a big wink because you know, we gotta still bring you along a little bit on the technical side. But we're on Facebook and uh, with the Salinas Public Libraries and um, we would like that dialogue around a city of letters and the future of libraries to uh, echo beyond uh, today's comments and, and frankly beyond Salinas. It's, uh, it's, we think it's an important conversation and uh, so we, uh, we invite those who are interested in participating in that dialogue uh, to join us on Facebook and also we will be having a continuing series of dialogues thanks to a, a grant uh, with the library and the National Steinbeck Center around the city of letters and the next two things we'll be talking about is what is the physical structure of that great library look like and what, what are some of the economic elements that might be worth, worth considering. So um, I, uh, I remain very, very committed to, to a very real belief um, that, that it, the uh, heart of the future and revitalization of our community is the uh, Salinas Public Library. So with that, uh, thank you again for asking me to join you. I was, uh, um, I was, honored, I was honored to uh, brush off my uh, library credentials again and uh, it, it, they felt good. So uh, thanks for reminding me of that good memory. So thank you. And uh, if there are questions, I'm happy to take those. I really appre appreciate your forward focus um, and, and what your plans are for the future. I think that's really positive. And I'd just like to know, what kind of support are you getting from the agricultural community in Salinas? Well, around the, the concept of a, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's interesting. It's not quite on the radar just yet, other than to say this, that one of the ways we set this dialogue up, because uh, as, as you might imagine, um, the, uh, as you go through these tough budget times, and trust me when I tell you, because I am a salesman married to a farmer's daughter, uh, you know, they can be pretty, it's a pretty bat brass tax group of folks, and, uh, um, and in, in these times, think going forward, uh, may, may seem a little uh, pre premature, but that said, uh, our ag community, you know, for instance, the Annal family contributed over $4 million to uh, CSUMB's library. The agricultural community, very, very frankly, was the driving force about getting the National Steinbeck Center built with an, with an ag wing. So I, I do believe uh, um, the ag community will will be interested in in this dialogue indeed um, there are folks on the move in our community near term they've been on the move around the gang issue and how they might participate and one of the uh, uh, um, matriarchs of one of the valley's uh, well-known ag families is in the process of organizing a, a major effort around bringing the el sistema program to Salinas. Uh, so the interest in the arts and culture is, is real and, and frankly the one thing we learned in Measure V, you know, libraries really do touch everyone on a personal level. But it, the way we have started the process initially is to make it a dialogue. But, but I will tell you, uh, and I was in a meeting last night where our city was considering expanding our redevelopment agency. And this message of okay, if you expect us to live within our means, then we need to be able to have, then we need to be able to expand our means is, is critical. And I think a, a business person really understands you, you put something like a world-class library in the middle of your city, everything I just laid out 
makes is very practical. And the only consideration in this day and age is, you know, uh, you know, how do you build a cathedral? You know, how do you finance that? But uh, uh, I think the ag community will be very, very receptive. But we, we uh, we've kind of set this city of letters up. You know, the one thing about ag folks, they need to see things. And so that's why we're very intent on this dialogue around what does that look like? Because when you can see something, you, you respond a little bit. So we're, we're really kind of trying to lay this out in a kind of a gradual basis. But, you know, these types of things, as you know, if you're around the arts or library or literacy, you're usually looking for a couple patrons to come forward. Let, let me, let me ab absolutely assure you there are plenty of farmers who uh, will just go, there goes the mayor again. So, <laughs> but, uh, but I think we all know for this type of thing, it only takes a couple. So that's what we're looking for. Dennis, you seem to wax not just uh, memorable and, and effusive about your own experience coming up and the impact that the library had on you, but you're poetic. And how is it, do you imagine, and I'm asking only to speculate at this point, that you get this, you're imbued with this sense of poetry about the practical uh, role that a library can play in the heart of a community, um, and, and so many others in roles like yours don't. Remember how I started my talk? I used to go to the library, and I'd get a lot of books. And, and honestly, I think it's that, that simple um, in, in the sense that uh, I, I routinely assure people, uh, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek, I'm not nearly as smart as I look. Uh, and I have, and I don't get to read as much as I used to. But the foundation for how I think literally were my teen years going to the library and those books, and they still, you know, the Brothers Karamazov is when I took Russian literature from the University of San Francisco. That one quote, believe me, I can't tell you about the rest of the book anymore. But I know I love that quote, and it's, and it's carried me. And, and so the, uh, the fact I was a great reader, I think, is responsible for that. The other, the other thing I would, I would just simply say is that I, I hope, you know, uh, you know when you, when you, I'm, I'm kind of an accidental mayor. I mean, I stumbled into all this, and at the heart of what I do is community service. Um, but the, um, and the libraries really did kind of propel me uh, it, towards be, becoming the mayor. But you also, even if you're doing it for the right reasons, the simple fact is I live in a political world and you have to validate your contract with the community, so they're evaluating you. I hope what they evaluate is that I have two uh, strong traits, that I'm creative, but I'm also practical. You've got to land the plane. And so that's what I tried to bring to bear. But I think the very direct answer to your question is I read a lot as a kid about that simple. You've mentioned several times now that you read a lot as a kid and that there were books that um, you started a bunch of them at, this, at one time and then one book caught your fancy right. and you immersed yourself in it. So I'm curious and I think our students would also be curious about what were some of those books okay. that you um, were so impressed by. And, and I actually did finish most of the other books when I was a kid. I don't oh, have as good a good... <laughs> well, you know, the thing about my book selection, I was uh, pretty eclectic even as a kid. You know, I'd, I'd be running around with Tolkien, the, auto, the uh, biography of Carl Yastrzemski, uh, and, uh, and history. I, I always had a passion for history. I, uh, um, I was... And in fact, frankly, I'm startled I grew up to be a mayor, though you figure these things out. I always read a lot of history, particularly American history. I liked to read about the presidents and government. And, you know, I'm like every other kid that, you know, gee, that, wouldn't that be fun to grow up and be the president, all that, all that stuff. So I would say primarily a lot of history, loved Tolkien, uh, read every Hardy Boy, read every Nasty Drew, read every Tom Swift, you know, the things that kids read. Uh, but the thing I recall pretty pretty clearly uh, was the range of what I, what I read. And, and I also, and I mentioned the University of San Francisco earlier, I actually did something, I'm, I'm not sure I recommend it to anyone, I'll ever do it again, but I, I actually had a, e either a moment of lucidity 
or craziness when I said, okay, I'm only going to be in college one more semester, so rather than coast, I'm going to work really hard and take 21 units, including Shakespeare and Russian literature. Now, in hindsight, that was absurd. <laughs> but, but, but I got away with it, and it was actually easy, turned out easier because I, I went to a Jesuit university, and they had this deal if you made the Jesuit National Honor Society, and this was just absolutely fabulous. You didn't have to take your finals. So, so, you know, so there was kind of this burst, and then you got to coast. Because believe me, if you hadn't encountered Shakespeare before, that was tough stuff. And I think anyone who's done their share of Russian literature knows uh, those guys did not write short books. Uh, so, uh, uh, so I, uh, I, I am, I am proud to say, once upon a time, my, uh, my reading, my reading uh, tastes were uh, pretty, pretty eclectic. So uh, you know, they're they're probably a little more practical these days. Given your technology background, are you envisioning technologies that you want to introduce to the the library? Well, you're, you're giving me a lot more credit. I was actually, uh, you know, remember when I worked for Atari, even though I was in the home computer division, that was at the time that the best-selling software we had was Pac-Man, you, you know, and, and so training for the Atari home computer division, it was actually a great job. It was, you know, it was really like taking, you know, candy from a baby. I can't, I still can't believe people paid for me for this. You know, you'd go all over the country and train people on Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Missile Command. That, that was tough. Missile Command was tough. Uh, and then you'd allude to the fact eventually you could bank on the home computer. So, and uh, you know, and then when I got a job with Microsoft, you know, thank God Bill Gates had no clue that I didn't care about MS-DOS and wasn't interested in it. I was one of those people that said the package should be blue and eye level. So, so that said, I have, I have a great appreciation for technology and I really rely on my close friends, uh, Lori and Elizabeth. Um, but. In a, in a very serious basis, the answer to your question is absolutely yes uh, in terms of the library. You know, that comment, those comments about Google, uh, our relationship with the Naval Postgraduate School, um, you know, frankly, um, if you do what I do, the reality is you've got so much information, you've got, you've got to decide pretty quickly who you trust and, you know, go, go with your go with your gut. And, and the thing I know that technology is, and science is absolutely critical for the future of our city. I, one of the themes I've promoted from day one is we've got to get economic connectivity with the Silicon Valley. Now, the, the Salinas Valley has a history of risk-taking and capital formation, but it's around things we know. You know, and which is fundamentally putting things in the ground or figuring out how to put them in a bag and cut them up. So we're, we're, a fairly, we're actually a fairly sophisticated neck of the woods. We will surprise people with the level of sophistication in the Salinas Valley. But, you know, one of my new buddies is the mayor is the guy that Forbes magazine said is the tenth, uh, one of the ten mo most uh, interesting science scientists to watch in the 21st century because he basically said, you can actually power, you can create energy from spinach. Now, I decided right away as the mayor of Salinas, I like that guy. Uh, and, you know, and then it had something to do with photovoltaic, this and that. And, and, and I said one day, I said, well, what does that plant look like? He says, well, you have the processing spinach plant over here. I said, okay, I got that one. And then you would probably be side by side with something like the equivalent of you know, an Intel, applied materials, choose whatever you want, and they've got wafer technology in, over here, and you're doing thin coats of film of spinach on top of it to do whatever you do. That is, that, so that's kind of a true story, except all the facts are false. But that's the concept. <laughs> that second plant is much more capital intensive than we're used to, uh, and it's not a risk we understand. We understand the risk of I'm going to grow 300 acres of lettuce a week instead of 200. I mean, we can figure that out. So, so the point is, we have got to go to a different level, be more scientific, more technical. And the other thing is, and this is just, this is just simply an observation I make as the mayor. You know, one of the things that happens in Salinas um, is there's this perception, uh, there, is a lot, there is a lot of poverty in Salinas. And, we, and, you know, prior to the housing collapse, we were you know, lowest per capita income, highest per capita housing in, in the country. And the only way to get out of that cycle is you have to create wealth. Mm -hmm. And there, there is a perception 
that we're a poor farming class, that not a lot of, not a lot of dough, and, uh, and our kids can't do the work. And, uh, and nothing could be further than the truth. In fact, Salinas has a very, very stable Latino middle class and professional class, but we need to develop a scientific entrepreneur class every step of the way. So I, I would suggest a library is absolutely a critical element of you know, how we provide uh, that knowledge basis for our young people to be more entrepreneurial, to be more scientific. And Elizabeth uh, and Lori and the management group at the library have proven, well, they truly have, that you know, the digital arts labs, um, the introduction of technology changes kids' lives, and it puts them on that path. I mean, nobody should take lightly that phrase. If you're at a poetry slam on Friday night, you know, you're not getting ready to leave and go put on your colors. That's just not what's happening. You're, you're thinking about how do I get into Stanford or something completely different. So, so the libraries are absolutely critical. And technology is at the heart of that. It really is. And, and I would contend as we redefine public institutions, and I think that's the challenge. Uh, I think people keep waiting for when are we going to get back to normal. That would be a bad expectation. But then, but then we're paused in between of, okay, we, you know, I, one of the things I always find very interesting is, okay, we want government to be more businesslike, which kind of is its own soapbox. But God forbid you actually be more businesslike. Um, and, but if you think about it, I'm like, okay, did Google, are you interested in libraries? Help build one, well, you know, and how's some of your people in there? Hey, Naval Postgraduate School, and believe me, we're having this conversation with Washington every chance we, we get. Um, Okay, you want to uh, talk about national security and cyber terrorism? Great, we'll talk about it with, you know, NPS, meet Google, by the way, build us a library. Uh, so you have, so we can house the technical conversation. And in the meantime, in your spare time, mentor kids. You know, and, and what's interesting about that, the reason the Naval Postgraduate School decided to help Salinas is a lot of their professors and students live in Salinas they're doing it in their spare time because they care about their community. So, you know, to get the scientific class, the tech, technology interested in our community, um, I think is absolutely critical. And I, th and I think libraries and science can go hand in hand, and they should go hand in hand. Shouldn't be limited to the science, so the arts are still kind of fun. Dan, as you said that you think that um, we won't go back to normal, so can you tell us a little bit what, what you think the new normal will be like? and how it'll be different from the old one? Well, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a tough question right now, but here's what I think. You know, each, and I'm, and I'm gonna look at it within the context of um, city services. You know, I, in Salinas, I think there are four questions. And I very frankly, and I, and I do read the papers up here, and uh, you know, Salinas and San Jose have a lot in common. And I understand the short-term pressures we all have to, to deal with. But I frankly think, and I understand why we're having the conversations we're having, but most of the conversations we're having is how do we cut the budget? How do we cut the budget? And we're just going to stay in this Groundhog Day cycle in it, uh, forever unless we do something different. And that's, that's probably going to be, be painful. But in Salinas, here, this is what I think the conversation needs to be. And, and then I'll answer your question, because it leads to how do you answer that question. What do we want? What, what do we expect the city to do? You know, in Salinas, that's pretty basic. We do police, we do fire, we do recreation, we do libraries, we do public works, and then because we're a municipal corporation, we basically oversee that. That's about all we do. Uh, so what do we want? What level do we want them? So for instance, you know, in Salinas, it is a point of discussion. Do we want, you know, uh, there's a real spirited dialogue, as you might imagine, in this economic environment. What's wrong with five days a week for the library uh, versus seven? So at what level do we want them? And then, and then we have to get into this question, what do we think they're worth? Now, that's the tough conversation right now because, you know, the, the public that wants to weigh in that has absolutely decided that the old social contract with the public sector is no longer valid, and not only do they want to change it move forward, they want to retroactively deal with all that. So, so there's obviously a very, very tough conversation about what do we think our cost input should be. And that's a tough conversation. And then the fourth thing is, how are we going to pay for them? 
Now in Salinas, our revenue streams, two-thirds of our revenue streams are basically sales tax declining, 30 percent in the last three years, property tax about 33, about 30 percent in the last three years, and then, and then a utility tax which has not kept up with technology. We cleverly made sure we will tax, if you have a rotary phone, we're going to tax you. Uh, but those folks who smartly figure out how to use a cell phone, we hope there aren't too many of them, uh, they're off the hook. So, so, the, so the problem is we, we really do have to figure out how to meet people's expectations. What I think one of the foundation pieces will be, that is a formula for you had better figure out how to expand your tax base. Now, I, I have uh, lived through a decade long of uh, financial melodrama in the city of Salinas. You know, it's kind of the civic version of taste great, less filling, taste great, less filling. You know, you, you, we need more, we need a higher sales tax. No, you guys aren't, you know, you guys aren't efficient. No, we, yes we are, we proved it. Okay, this time we'll help, because it's the libraries, we like them. Okay, how about for the rest of the stuff? No, you're not efficient. I mean, we, I, I thought getting a, frankly, a penny, we ran a penny for peace campaign last November, and, and I frankly thought it'd be like shooting fish in a barrel, given the nature of the gang issue in Salinas, and we ran smack dab into the normal boo birds who represent the Tea Party crowd, who just stood in place and said the same thing they always did. Too many people make over $100,000, government's inefficient, and so now the, now the ball back over the net is, yeah, cops make too much. We want to be safe, but we want you to fix that first. So what you end up with is the wrong discussion which really must be, what do we want? And the minute you introduce, what level do you want them? The goal then becomes to create a baseline of expectations, you know, where you've got a consensus in the community. Then you have to have the conversation, what do we think they're worth? But that issue of how we're going to pay for them, once you connect that to what do you want and at what level, so in Salinas's case, and you know, each city has their own revenue streams. For instance, Monterey has a relatively low sales tax base, but they live off of, historically, their transient occupancy tax, which, you know, kind of has a weighted average. So the city of Monterey, on a per capita base, general fund basis, has, depending upon what number you read, I use the higher number if, it's, if it helps me, uh, you know, but I, the numbers are actually $1,300 to $1,800 to spend per resident. In Salinas, we have about 500 per resident. I mean, the simple fact is, that's what we got. So their formula, that sales, you know, s small resident base, terrific, you know, over a thousand hotels, they win. Um, in our case, as I believe we've lived on 85 percent on the dollar in terms of uh, our sales tax is basically too low to meet people's expectations. But that said, if the, if the new norm is proved to me you're doing everything you can with what you got, like, okay, then we know economic development becomes critical. Job growth becomes critical. So you have to get more throughput through sales. So I need a safer city that causes people to feel more comfortable to shop in our city, to keep those dollars home, get more throughput on the sales side. But the reality is, on a scale basis, um, it, it's just not going to be, that's all incremental stuff. And, and that's why a li this world-class library, I mean, think about it. If I could wave a magic wand and whatever the Louvre of the library looks like, just, you know, it's there tomorrow, does anyone question for a moment? Hotels will follow, sales tax revenues will go up, property tax values will rise in the immediate area. It would generate wealth. No questions asked. And the reality is we do happen to have to update our civic infrastructure. So I think economic development becomes a cornerstone. There's no question you have to obviously look at things like sales tax, et cetera. But you know, the feedback I'm getting in terms of the PR battle you have to fight to get through to educate the community, you've, you've got to get people convinced um, that you are living with your means and you are efficient. Once you do that, I think it's possible to go to some sort of targeted investment concepts. For instance, we did Measure K, 
And I, you know, frankly, I felt the gang issue was tough enough that why have a sunset? I was dead wrong. We, we would have been better off saying, you know what, this is targeted, it's focused, it's purposeful, and it'll be over in this time. So, so I do think the notion of a community might agree to invest uh, rather than commit, uh, I, think, I think that's on, on, the, on the table. But I also think the other thing is we're going to have to look at designing city organizations uh, that are more nimble, more flexible, uh, perhaps more project-based. Uh, so I think there is going to also have to be uh, a new era of labor relations on a go-forward basis. I, I, I think honoring social contracts is, is really important. So, so the two things that I think change on a go-forward is, is cities have to be more marketplace-driven, and, and then we're going to have to redesign um, the, the labor contract, and then we're going to have to develop an investment strategy concept. I, Salinas is a lot like an island, so it, it's a little harder for us to think like the peninsula cities, you know, where you have Carmel, Pacific Grove, Monterey, Seaside, Marina, all right there. You theoretically could do some consolidation. Um, the last thought I'll throw in for you is, uh, is I, I'm, uh, I mentioned former Mayor uh, McHenry. I'm a big fan of his work, uh, The New City State, which basically says, look, if you're a city that's hanging around waiting for Sacramento and Washington to bail you out, bad idea. So you have to be self-reliant. And, and I subscribe to that. I happen to think uh, California is going to, I, I did read a lot of history. I happen to think California is going to collapse. No one seems to have figured that out yet in Sacramento. And it will need to reinvent itself. And I'm a, also a proponent of kind of a new regionalism where you do work together. You do see how city, county, and education can, can come together because I think Residents, uh, I think people are looking for um, uh, legitimate consolidation where you can function. N I, I think people will understand legitimate, legitimate silos. You know, I, I mean, the word gets abused, but 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 it's it's useful. So so I think I think uh, government cooperation also. So government cooperation, targeted investment, uh, and. Uh, New, new era in labor relations and more marketplace orientation are the four pillars on a go-forward basis. But beyond that, yeah, I think that's the formula. But I think about it all the time. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. It was, uh, it was an honor to be asked. Thank you.